and welcome to Living Your Best Life, a Parkinson's podcast with the Irish Examiner. I'm your host, Anne-Marie O'Connor, and we're here to mark Parkinson's Awareness Week with a five-episode special focusing on personal stories from the Irish Parkinson's community, the obstacles faced, challenges overcome, and tools used to live their best lives. In this episode, I'll share my story of early onset Parkinson's and how routine, education, and perspective helped me navigate the early days of my diagnosis. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Parkinson's, neither was I. Uh, Prior to my diagnosis in December 2021, I always assumed Parkinson's was something that uh, affected elderly men, not women in their 40s like me. For the record, Parkinson's is a progressive degenerative brain disorder that affects movement, balance, and speech. It has over 40 symptoms, both motor and non-motor related. Um, These range from anywhere from tremor and stiffness to speech and uh, mental health issues. And they call it the designer disease because no two people have the same combination of symptoms. What I can tell you now, after about a year and several months of having been diagnosed with a year and several months of experiencing symptoms prior to that is that Parkinson's will change you. And it's changed me in ways that I never imagined. So this is my story. So it all started in September, 2020. It was during COVID. Um, I live alone and um, Uh, It was during a brief respite during lockdown that um, I took advantage of the time to do a photo shoot for the Irish Examiner. And I've been carrying very heavy bags, which wasn't unusual. But what was unusual was the pain that I was in a few days later. I woke up one morning and I had a really horrible, nagging, unusual pain in my right shoulder. Um, I didn't think anything of it because I assumed I had tweaked something, whether it was muscle or what have you during the shoot. Um, but this this pain was nagging, like I said, and persistent, and it got worse around November 2020. The pain became searing. Um, I lost mobility in my right shoulder. I found it really difficult to put on and take off my bra in the morning without being in a lot of pain, often resulting in crying. I remember one morning I was lying on the bed, um, I had a sports bra on and it didn't have the clips at the back. So I was debating whether I should shower with the sports bra on or whether I was going to cut myself out of it because I literally couldn't take it off. So I had promised myself that I would get it seen to once COVID restrictions had loosened. Bear in mind, um, if you, you know, cast back your mind, uh, they were really deterring people from going to the GP unless you happen to have COVID or something COVID related. So it was March before I made an appointment with my GP. And between March and December of 2021, um, I had three MRIs. So I had one on my shoulder, I had one on my neck and spine and one on my brain, and they all came back negative. And during this period of time, the um, I should have mentioned, in addition to the pain in my shoulder around November, I had a fine shake in my hand. So that was really what was the, the main cause for concern. So this fine shake in my hand extended from my fingers then up to my shoulder, and it went from fine to coarse. 
In addition to that, I had a limp in my leg, a slight drag when I walked, kind of tripped a bit when I walked. My right leg felt heavy. And also I had a diminished swing in my right arm, which I hadn't noticed, but my sister had noticed. So for me, it was really important to get the optics of people outside of my own bubble um, because I did live alone and were able to say, why are you dragging your leg? You know, what, what's happening with your hand? You need to mention that to your doctor. So, you know, the, like the shake got progressively worse and more noticeable. I was shoving my hands in my pockets. I was putting them under my arms like this. I was doing all sorts of things to, to disguise the fact that it was shaking. And around December, when the results came back from my MRI on my brain, they were negative. I had told my doctor about a number of worrying symptoms that um, had like escalated within a very short period of time. Just I'd say the end of November, beginning of December. Um, it was around the time of obviously of Christmas and in Christmas cards. And I remember I had very cramped handwriting and the shake in my hand became a jerk, like a very aggressive jerk. So my Christmas cards looked like ransom notes and <laughs> let's just say not many people got cards that, that year. And in addition to that, my hand started to cup like this. So I was unable to uh, put on mascara, which should be deemed a hate crime. I um, couldn't open a bag of coffee. I couldn't even brush my teeth. And so my doctor said, this is you know, cause for concern. Um, and she made an appointment for me to visit CUH Acute Medical Unit um, based on the findings of my MRI and what I had um, conveyed to her in terms of what had happened in the past couple of weeks. So I arrived at 9 a.m. and by 4 p.m. I was diagnosed with uh, Parkinson's disease. So I'd seen a, a nurse, a doctor, a neurologist, and who then became my consultant neurologist, so four different people. I was standing up at the time and he asked me if I wanted to sit down, so I did. And uh, we got the first of many chats about something called dopamine. So for those of you who aren't familiar, dopamine is a neurotransmitter in the brain, um, often kind of associated with the reward center. So we think of it as the, ooh, that like great feeling you get of validation when someone tells you, you know, it's a job well done, or when you ace a promotion, when you fall in love. Um, and it's also responsible for scrolling on social media, impulsive behaviors, gambling, um, overspending, things like that. So um, this is also responsible for movement, balance, and coordination. And in people with Parkinson's, dopamine, um, the nerve cells that produce dopamine have been reduced by 70 to 80%. So 70 to 80% of them are gone. So effectively, that leaves you with 20 to 30% of the nerve cells that produce dopamine. Now, you do tend to lose these do um, nerve cells as you get older and you age, but in particular, like when you're young onset, it's a lot to have um, gone in, in one fell swoop. So my consultant wisely advised that I take the time to process this and that I come back to him in a few days time and that I bring with me another set of ears which came in the shape of my best friend who lives up the road and we both said okay we'll swap notes afterwards because I knew half of it was going to go one in one ear and out the other. So he basically was very smart and told me about what was available to me and let me make the decision based on the information that he gave me. And I decided that I would go with the gold standard of dopaminergic medication, which is known as levodopa. Levodopa was founded in the 1960s, and it does remarkable work in, term, in terms of 
uh, ameliorating symptoms, in particular stiffness and movement. Not so much in tremor in all cases, as I was soon to discover. Because, um, but getting back to why I chose levodopa and why I chose to take medication, I wanted to ring fence the years that I had that were productive, the years that would give me a quality of life um, before I retired. And I was able to make money. I was able to fulfill my dreams and ambitions um, with what I was told I would get a honeymoon period of about five to 10 years. So typically with levodopa and any medication really, there is an habituation. Um, you know, habituation is our biggest enemy. We get used to something and, you know, perhaps we don't get the same benefit anymore. And then you have to look to adjuvant therapies to assist the levodopa along the way. Um, another thing with starting levodopa early is that, you know, you might be, um, you might be one of the people that gets something that I would, I experienced almost immediately is a side effect called dyskinesia, which are spontaneous involuntary movements that happen on the left side of my shoulder. So it kind of looks like I want to go dancing, <laughs> even if it's a Monday morning, or that I'm a bit antsy and I have to kind of tell people, look, I'm Parkinson's. I'm not like looking, I'm looking to leave, you know? Um, so that's something that um, people with early onset experience as well. Early onset is slower in its progression, but also you might experience side effects um, a bit sooner than you would have imagined. So um, that's a route I took. And uh, around December, it was like mid-December, I started taking medication. And between December and August, I'm going to take you through what I learned. What I learned in my initial period is that I knew nothing. <laughs> um, just. Uh, I, I knew absolutely nothing about Parkinson's to begin with. I always thought, you know, oh, Michael J. Fox had it, you know, Muhammad Ali had it, not Anne-Marie O'Connor has it, and what are we going to do about this? I assumed that I was being very practical um, and that I had made the correct decision and that it was a simple case of taking my medication. I only took three tablets at the time, so it was like at 7, 12, and 5, and that life would be groovy. You know, I'd have my 5 to 10 years, and that... I was laboring under the misapprehension that I wouldn't have, like, it wouldn't ameliorate the side effects, it would totally get rid of them. So I was super positive. I was like, positive Pam. But, um, and then I got a bit of a land because I wasn't taking the medication properly. Um, and I had gotten in touch with the Parkinson's Association of Ireland on their support line. I was speaking to the nurse because I was wondering why I was experiencing um, side effects and why I was feeling a bit odd. And she, took me through my um, my day and she said, how do you take your medication? I was like, well, I just pop in my mouth and I keep going. She's like, well, you know, you need to have proper hydration. Uh, levodopa is absorbed in the gut, so it's a very perilous journey down to the gut and over to the blood-brain barrier. It takes ages. You need to make sure that it's absorbed properly. Um, when do you take your medication? Oh, I take it with my, you know, my meals. Uh, what do you have for breakfast? Oh, I have peanut butter on like, you know, brown bread. And she's like, protein interferes with the absorption. And I started feeling really kind of silly. And she's like, no, don't feel silly. You like, nobody knows this. You don't know until you know. And you often learn by your mistakes with, with Parkinson's, but they're mistakes that you don't make again. So what I learned through, uh, through speaking with the nurse and through my own um, silly mistakes was that number one, routine is your friend. 
Um, you need to get used to a life of, of rigorous routine. I like to call it a ritual. I like to imbue it with a sense of meaning so that I don't think it's something that I have to do, uh, but it is something you have to do. So I always say to people, you have to kiss spontaneity goodbye. That's one of the trade-offs if you want to live well with Parkinson's. Um, the One of the things that you'll find with taking your tablets, or one of the things I found, I should say, with levodopa, is the excessive daytime sleepiness. Um, it normally kicks in between 30 minutes to an hour after I've taken a dose, and I, I could easily fall asleep standing up like a horse. Um, I could be asleep for two hours, so I have to get up, I have to distract myself, distraction is great, um, walk around the room, have a cup of coffee, do something active, maybe use that time to do exercise, whatever it is, so that I'm not like falling asleep at my desk. Because, you know, in particular, if you're working, um, that can be very disconcerting if you're overcome, and it really feels like jet lag, overcome by this sense of sleepiness. Number two, I would say always look for patterns. You, your, your experience of Parkinson's is unique. You are your own private investigator. You are your own agent of change. Um, your consultant is only going to see you once every, you know, every few months, and he or she is not living. You have the lived experience. They do not have the lived experience of your disease, and they are relying on you to give them the data. So if you feed them enough data, they will be able to give you more, a better and more uh, tailored result. So I keep, and I've always been advised to keep a diary, both by my consultant and by the Parkinson's nurse. And with this, I was very, very much like the grade A student at first. I was like, 7.01 a.m., <laughs> you know? But it becomes really difficult. Life gets in the way to keep such granular details. What I advise that you do with a diary, diary is really for keeping a log of, you know, when you take your medication. I do that on my apps. I set alarms on my phone to remind me to take my medication, and then I log it in a medication app so that I'm able to give this data to my consultant or I'm able to give this data to myself to look and see how many times I took my medication on time. In Parkinson's lingo, on time and all the time is really key when it comes to medication. So um, keeping an app is, is brilliant. With your diary, you want to make sure you're talking about patterns. If you felt that feeling side effects, when are you feeling them? Are you feeling them after, you know, in the morning? Are you feeling them in the evening? I noticed my tremor was always worse in the morning. So what I would do is swap, do a bit of a swap, and I do my administration and my workouts in the morning. And then I do my more kind of my deep thinking and my writing in the evening. And it did require a huge lifestyle change, um, but one that was successful nonetheless. And then the next one is exercise. Exercise is the only thing that is proven to mollify the effects of um, outside, you know, the pharmacological world that can mollify the effects of Parkinson's and also slow the progression of the disease, which is key. So things like Tai Chi and yoga are awesome for balance and coordination. You've got running and boxing if you want to lift your heart rate, or for anyone who lives in Cork, walking uphill, <laughs> which just seems to be, you know, my permanent destination is walking up a hill. But um, it does the job and something that you're going to be consistent with. There's no point trying, you know, being a weekend warrior and then doing nothing through the week. Small, consistent bouts of exercise really make a huge difference. <clears throat> and then my final point, 
in terms of routine is education. Um, you need to be your own advocate and you need to be your no own agent of change. As I mentioned before, nobody has your lived experience and they're relying on your information to, um, I suppose, imbue theirs and, and give you that tailored experience in terms of, you know, it's very much a multi-dimensional disease, multifaceted. So, you know, whether it's you need speech and language or occupational therapy or physiotherapy, in addition to your medication, that they can tailor it in such a way that suits your needs. For me, when I joined the Parkinson's Association of Ireland, there are educational webinars that are given by the Parkinson's specialist nurse on things like pain. For me, my, my symptoms, um, my main symptoms are tremor, restless leg, painful restless leg, um, and insomnia, uh, fatigue, and a few other things I could add in. But the pain was really, um, really keeping me awake at night, um, sometimes falling me into the day. So being able to be armed with that knowledge really made things less scary um, and made me feel more, um, more secure in my ability to, to deal with the disease. And uh, yeah, and things like adjacent physiological changes like the menopause. Um, I'm 49 now, almost 50, um, and uh, for the past two years, seeing so I've had symptoms since I was 47, I've had to live with wondering, okay, is this menopause or perimenopause or is it Parkinson's? Things like, you know, anxiety, brain fog, um, you know, restless leg again. Like I went on HRT again through my own agency speaking to my GP because I thought, okay, if I can go on HRT, that's supposed to be able to help my restless leg. If it doesn't help my restless leg, then I know it's not menopause. I know it's neurological. So these are the things that you need to be prepared to do, and you can only do them when you educate yourself. And it is, it seems like a lot. It's really overwhelming, but just take it one step at a time. Join the Parkinson's Association. Watch a webinar. There's plenty of them on YouTube as well from the Parkinson's foundation in the USA, to one in the UK, those in Ireland. Um, look for, um, you know, one of those webinars, maybe sit and think, does this resonate with me? And just gently just start to build your knowledge base. And before you know it, you'll really feel, like I said, a lot more secure in yourself. So around August 2022, things started to go a bit wobbly, as they do. Life doesn't, isn't always quite linear as we would like it to be. Um, and so this takes me from August 2022 to February 2023. And it's about patience and perseverance. And really, um, that comes under the heading of perspective, uh, really keeping things into in perspective and not getting caught in the, the, the woe is me story. So um, after having had a few weeks, I wouldn't go as far as say a few months, I'd say six, maybe seven weeks of, of really feeling on top of things. It was around my mom's birthday and um, I started noticing that every day I was losing about an hour's sleep. Every day my restless legs would get worse, they'd get more painful. Every day my tremor was just proving more problematic and troublesome. Every day the, I had more dyskinesia in my left shoulder. Um, my fine motor skills at by, you know, Christmas time had really gone kaput. Um, I had stiffness in my right hand. It felt like um, a very misguided Vulcan salute 
can't do it now, but it was, yeah, I was, you know, giving Dr. Spock a run, run for his money. Um, yeah, I had a, I kept waking up at like two, between two and four in the morning. And I was always grateful when I woke up around four because I knew I had clocked an extra two hours sleep. But when I woke up at two, I was up. I was up until seven when I took my seven o'clock medication and I was able to take advantage of that excessive daytime sleepiness and, and fall back to sleep and, and for another two hours if I, were, if I was lucky. I had, when I got up, I had a limp in my right leg. Sometimes I had no feeling in my right leg. Um, and I had something called dystonia, which is a painful curling of the toes. Um, it's really painful. Um, it's quite excruciating and quite acute and lasts for a short period of time. But that period of time is, is, is pretty awful for people who experience that. So basically, I um, was told that I experienced a smaller window of relief from what we call in Parkinson's, we have a lot of lingo in Parkinson's, that could be its own podcast. Um, it's called on-off movement fluctuations. The easiest way I can describe this is a light switch. When you turn a light switch on, things are clear and bright. You can see the road ahead. When things are switched off, it's dark, and that's when you wind up stubbing your toe, or that's when, you know, in for Parkinson's, people with Parkinson's, that you start experiencing more side effects or, or more symptoms, I should say, symptoms. So, yeah, um, it was not great to, to know that I had a smaller window, but also that I'm very sensitive to medication. And what they call in medical terms a lightweight <laughs> or in common terms i should say a lightweight i yeah i don't respond um i i'm very sensitive to medication so um i basically had a year of living with something that did its best to scupper my mood my motivation my means of making a living um it but i didn't want it to to get me down i just kept thinking the next thing I trial could be the thing that really makes a difference. And there's always something on the horizon. And I know that sounds um, like toxic positivity to some, but for someone with a lived experience of having one treatment after the other, after the other, and trying different things and putting your body through so much, um, it, it trust me, it, it does pay off in the end. So I went through a series of adjuvant treatments to little or no success. I'd find that it worked for about two weeks and then tremors would kick in, symptoms would kick in, everything would just kind of kick off basically. Um, my last adjuvant treatment was in January 2023. It was an injection treatment that I trialed in, in CUH. Um, unfortunately, it was too, too severe for my body. Um, I reacted very badly. It felt like the world's worst hangover. And so we thought, well, you, you know, you're curing one thing, but you're, you're killing one thing and curing another or whatever the phrase is. Um, basically it, it didn't work. So yeah, it, I knew that there was always going to be something around the corner. Um, it, it's frustrating to put your body through this and, and the decision fatigue, because you're dealing with very big adult decisions. Um, I decided in the end, I'd been putting off a treatment called the dopamine agonist um, that I knew would work on my restless leg and potentially my insomnia and tremor, but um, I knew it also had very serious side effects. So with dopamine agonists, there's something called, there's a behavioral side effect called impulse control syndrome. So anything from hypersexuality to gambling to overspending, um, thus, you know, the, the, the dopamine and the reward center of the brain um, goes a bit skewy. 
And um, I just thought, okay, this is something that I really want to have to deal with. So to give you numbers, about 17% of people with Parkinson's will, who take dopamine agonists will experience this impulse control sy uh, symptoms at some stage if they continue taking it. It's not something that happens, it, it can happen straight away. If it does, it could happen four years down the line. It may never happen at all. But 17% equates to about one in five, which um, equates in terms of, you know, the literature that you get with your tablets, whatever they are, even if they're paracetamol and it tells you what the side effects are, it comes under common, not rare or very rare, but common. And that always gave me pause, not least because I work in fashion and part of my job is to scroll through everything online and find out what the best things are at the moment. <laughs> so I'm like, my biggest fear was like waking up one morning and then realize I'm like 20,000 20, you know, euro that I've spent in um, a very expensive department store. But um, no, that was always the, the thought that I have. And then I, I realized that this is a big decision to make, but it could be a decision that changes my life. Um, the important thing about this decision that I make is communication, and that's what I would share with you. You need to keep the lines of communication open with your consultant, with your Parkinson's nurse, with your family and your friends. When I expressed my reservations, um, I was told that, you know, this isn't something that happens immediately, it happens generally you know, step by step, you, you could notice it happening. If that were the case, that I noticed a change in my behavior, I would have to tell my consultant immediately and they'd either lower the dosage or they'd change the medication entirely. So it's a very simple switch, but I suppose what's always happened in particular with things like hypersexuality, gambling, overspending, is that there's a degree of shame associated with it. And I think back in the day or years ago, we wouldn't have had the same open society and open channels of communication that are encouraged now. And that is what I'd say is key. You can't, you can't walk this path alone. You can't be stoic about it. No one wants a martyr um, because it's not going to do you any favors. You need to open up. And I'm a lone wolf in, a, in some respects because I'm a freelancer, I live alone. Um, although I have a huge family and network of friends, um, I'm always used to relying on myself to a certain degree. Um, you have to put your ego aside and ask for help. And also be self-aware. So communication and self-awareness means you can keep something in check and let the medication do its work. And that's what I feel has happened for me. Um, you know, for me, the hardest part of Parkinson's was the waiting. The waiting for me was, you know, waiting for the medication to work, waiting for the dopamine to kick in and the, the shaking to stop, wait, you know, waiting to fall back to sleep again after a night of restless legs, um, waiting to feel like myself again, which I know is never going to happen again. You know, my pre-Parkinson's self is gone, but patience is what allows my new self to emerge. Um, and you know, in February 2023, the patience paid off um, and the perseverance and the sense of perspective of there being something over, you know, on the other side of the hill, as it were. 
Um, I've been using a transdermal patch, which is a dopamine agonist that's absorbed into the bloodstream and not in the Bermuda Triangle of the gut, which makes it so difficult for levodopa to be absorbed in the body. I don't have to worry with this, although I'm still taking levodopa about you know, food absorption. Um, to, if I weren't taking levodopa, I could just have a life of pure spontaneity. <laughs> I wouldn't have to worry about protein, you know, interference or iron interference or any sort of absorption interference at all. Um, but I'm just delighted that it's working. It was physically very hard on my body to begin with. Um, I spent a lot of time in bed with pot noodle, um, but I have to say the, the sickness and the nausea has gone and uh, the tiredness has gone as well. Um, and then I went in March 2023 to Sicily to mark the moment with one of my dear friends. And I'm hoping that it's a moment that will last a, a long time. So as I said before, make no mistake, Parkinson's will change you inside and out but you get to decide what that looks like. Thank you. Thank you so much for your company today. Be sure to join me in the next episode as I chat to Jerome Mom about his experience of early onset Parkinson's and how the therapeutic benefits of singing help him live his best life. For more episodes like this, you can find us Living Your Best Life Parkinson's podcast at irishexaminer.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye for now.